From the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Deadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. Um, J.C., I saw what you did there. What'd I do? It would appear you changed locations. Yeah, we, we sort of did that. My, my little family has picked up and moved back to my hometown of all places. Hmm. Is it back for your wife, sir? You know what? It's uh, it's kind of funny. Um, she has always been in love with my hometown, and I never really paid that much mind until a few – well, I, I'd love to say a few months ago when we started the long and arduous process. Uh, but, you know, about like, what, six weeks ago when she said, hey, we should really move, and everything just kind of worked really, really fast, which was really great until that global pandemic landed. And then moving across state lines in a, with a couple of U-Hauls and some really tired people has turned out to be more of an adventure than I thought it would be. Have they closed the border yet between Ohio and Pennsylvania? No, they have not. But they're real, real serious at the Ohio border that when you get on the Ohio Turnpike, you're just going to go, go ahead and have to use uh, an easy pass. But yeah, uh, given that the schools in uh, Pennsylvania were shut down a few weeks ago, we decided that we thought we would take the opportunity to move some stuff and we would spend spring break out here and then go back. And as it turned out, we got more or less a shelter in place order. So we decided to shelter here where it's a lot bigger than the house we were living in back there. So we're not sitting in each other's laps, which is really nice. And, uh, we're kind of getting the feel for the new house, I guess. But you have moved out of the Wawa zone. I am firmly in Sheets country at this point, my friend. If we want to go down the road of MTO sandwiches, I'm I'm here and I'm ready. I will say this. Sheets owns breakfast, dude. I, I, I can't. I know you can't. You know, how, you, know, you know how the Fonz can't say that he's... Yep. I, I, I can't I can't disparage Wawa in the Wawa Sheets debate. I can't. Yeah. Okay. I wish you and your family all the best as you settle into your new home. And now we're about done being polite, so let's get into that mailbox episode we were planning before. I want to note before we get into the mailbox that some of the questions we'll be answering today relate to slightly more mature themes. And in one case, our discussion may not align fully with your family's religious values, whatever they might be. We do want to give you fair warning in case you're listening to this with your kids present. This would be a very good time to switch over to headphones or maybe play some Def Leppard for the rest of your ride in the family minivan. Pour some sugar on me, Michael. If it's Wawa sugar, done and done, sir. <laughs> so our first caller, Justin, reached out to us from the wilds of Pennsylvania to ask a question we've heard about a number of times over the years from our dad friends. Hi, Michael and JC. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm calling from Pennsylvania. Really enjoy your podcast. It's great. Um, my question is, I was, I was talking with another dad about at what age you should stop lying down with your kid at, bed, at bedtime. Um, when my daughter was five, I would lie down with her and fall asleep next to her uh, on the regular because, you, know, you know, I was exhausted. Uh, but now she's nine, and she still likes for me to lie down with her, and, and that's great. You know, I, I, I like the snuggle time. But is there an age where, as a dad, you say, no, you're too old for me uh, to lie down with you? Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks, guys. All right. You want to start or will I? Well, that's an, that's an interesting one. My son is 12. My, my daughter is nine. My son and I flopped down on the couch and had a nap not that long ago. Now, the biggest problem we had there was, you know, there's not a lot of room on that couch. Um, but as far as like at night, you know, I still go in and I'll, I'll 
tuck my daughter in and we lay there and we talk about things. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that's when a lot of really important stuff comes up. You know, we used to do a thing called worry time and we still do that from time to time where we'll sit down and talk about things that are bothering her. So, you know, we'll, we'll lay there and talk and chat on as long as it takes, you know, until it's time or until I quite frankly get ready to fall asleep and then go back to my bed, which is far more comfortable. We're definitely still in a place where, uh, you know, she's, she's nine and we're still, still doing that before bedtime. How about you? So my kids now are just turning 23, uh, 20 and 16. Laying down at bedtime with the 16-year-old is a thing that's still happening for me. It's not every night, I would say. Probably once a week or so, maybe twice a week. I'll go in and check on her and, and we'll lay down together at bedtime. As you said, my experience over the years has been the bedtime is when the truth comes out. Their hopes, their worries, whatever's on their mind, whatever might be troubling them, you're going to hear about that at bedtime. So I think you really don't want to miss out on that. I know that in general, dads have a hard time figuring out physical intimacy with their kids, especially daughters, especially as everybody's going through puberty and getting older, more mature. What I would say to that is, of course, you want to be comfortable, respectful. You want to treat everybody right. Um, Those are absolute minimum baseline things. But I think we err sometimes on the side of not making contact, and we really should. We are an incredibly social species. We communicate with each other through touch. That touch is every bit as important right now because of how confusing the world is around us. And so I would just encourage everybody, you know, hang in there, keep laying down with the kids at bedtime as long as they'll tolerate it. Like I don't lay down with the 23-year-old or the 20-year-old so much, mostly because they've been away. So I don't feel like there's a hard and fast, this is when you stop. And I also think there's not a hard and fast, this is when you stop being a parent. So you've just got to be open to using whatever tools you have in the toolbox for forever and follow your judgment as to when it makes sense. All right, cool. Next, we have a message we received via email from friend of the program and fellow dad, Dominic in New Jersey. I have to say that Dominic asked us like three really good questions. And today we're going to talk about one of them and hold the others for another time because each one deserves a thorough review and we just don't have the minutes uh, to, to give all of them a full airing. This one question from Dominic feels especially important to answer now. Uh, he asks, as one navigates more likely tossed about by the winds of change, a career, one can find themselves in bad jobs or even worse, no job. How should one play this with a family of children, young or in high school or college? Does one shelter the children and make all appear as normal? Does one have them join you on the emotional roller coaster? Showing the rejection and worse, the silence from resumes and cover letters that can scar a kid and make their own entry into the workforce very dark. And yeah. (laughs) We jumped in the deep end of the pool today. I I think so. Uh, That's that's one where... um, I have to be very honest with my experience. I did have a very rough time in my career, uh, not all that long ago, uh, to the point where my kids saw a lot more than I thought they did. So rather than maybe telling them outright, oh, you know, I'm having a really rough time, they sort of picked up that vibe on their own through you know my behavior. And I've tried to be very open about things like that, you know, changes in career and, and what's going on. But again, 
my kids are a lot younger, it's it's kind of hard to have a conversation with a nine-year-old about career transitions and changing places of employment. Some We had an episode on what we do for a living and our kids have no idea what it is. So true to, to have a, a, a deep talk about that maybe is a little rough, but I also don't think we should avoid it because it's something they're going to see. They're going to feel it. Everything that you do is colored by it in some way. The, the kids pick up on it. And so I don't know that it does anybody any favors to hide anything. But at the same time, you sort of have to be careful about what level of detail you're willing to go into and, and what's going to make sense and what will be processable by by a, a child depending on age. What do you think? So I want to highlight first this point that we've raised before, which is that the kids are the emotional weather vane in the household. So they don't always know why the wind is blowing, but they can tell that it is. Really important to remember, I don't think it's practical to expect that when you're facing major life changes, your kids are somehow going to be oblivious to that. They are exquisitely attuned to your emotional state. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, I think that when you're going through a big life change, like a job change, whether it was um, voluntary or not, I think it's important to figure out where you can have an outlet for, you know, for working through it, for figuring out how to process the ups and downs, for kind of maintaining your own resolve. Of course, you want to have your own internal resources for that, but it's always helpful to have, you know, a, a couple of folks that you can go to, you know, just get some good listening and some good advice. Interestingly, I think that is not always going to be your partner when it comes to a job search, because your partner is along for the ride. Whether or not you're a single earner family, dual earner family, your partner is going to be heavily affected by your process. One of the things my wife pointed out to me many years ago is that when I change jobs, we change health insurance, and that's stressful for her. The The ground rules change. Um, you might want to enlist a friend. You might want to enlist uh, a mentor, a parent, and uncle, uh, a sibling in your own family that you can go to who's not in the middle of the mix. Uh, just something to consider because it can be a stormy ride for everybody in the family. And, you know, there are lots of ways in which you might depend on your partner for that kind of emotional support. And it just might be challenging for them to do it in this particular part of your lives. Oh, I totally agree. In this area, we have achieved agreement, um, setting aside the obvious disagreement that we have around Wawa versus Sheets. I don't, I don't know. You, you come out here for a visit, and I think I, I think there's a, a breakfast sandwich I could introduce you to that might change your tune. It's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about. I'm just putting it on the table. That's that's my olive branch. It's it's an olive branch that's sitting under a very nice croissant-based sandwich with these neat little fried potato thingies. Okay. Another Justin in Pennsylvania, uh, and we do seem to have a bumper crop of Justins in Pennsylvania, contacted us and asked a somewhat delicate question. His kids are younger teenagers and preteens, and he is wondering how to talk to them about mm, getting to know your own body and how it works. I mean, how it can work sometimes under special circumstances. Are you referring to the matter of mastering your own domain? I am indeed. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. All right. Before we get into this about how we want to handle it as dads, let's talk about let's talk about embarrassing reality. So, how did this go with your parents when you were that age? 
You know, it was kind of surprising. So at that time, uh, my parents were divorced and my dad was living out of state. Uh, I was living with my mom and my brother in a you know rather small house. And the discussion was, mm, I don't want to say short or, or even brief or even, I, I don't know that it actually happened. It was just sort of one of those things where there was sort of a a mutual understanding that were things that were going to happen and people were going to need some private time. And well, that's just kind of how it was. Um, not a whole lot of, uh, on the table, Frank talk, which for my mom is a little surprising. Uh, but as I was thinking about this particular question, it, it occurred to me, there was never really any kind of, of talk about that aspect of things. I mean, there mm. was a lot of discussion around sexual ethics and a bunch of other things, but never really got into uh, into the nitty gritty, if you will, on this particular mm. side of things. Okay. Okay. How about, how about for you? Oh, in my case, um, I, I think my parents played it appropriately because, uh, you know, I was a voracious reader, so they gave me a book. And this book made my head explode because it had words and pictures that I just did not have any frame of reference for. And, and so, you know, so that was interesting. And that, you know, that book lived in like a, a, a you know, a, a secret place of shame, you know, tucked away under my mattress or next to my mattress or something like that. And it was a confusing thing for me uh, uh, all the way around. I was embarrassed more than anything else. I was embarrassed about my own body. I was embarrassed about my own ignorance. And that was a that was a rough place to be. So I've tried to do it a little differently. Fortunately, my wife is incredibly direct and practical and supportive with the kids. Um, so I'd like to think that our kids have grown up with a, a, a very healthy uh, sense of their own sexuality. But this is an area in which I felt like sometimes I was kind of struggling to contribute. Sure. And that's one of the things that we picked up, uh, I know, for my son was a, a pamphlet almost. It was almost like a user manual for the the young body, if you will, to sort of explain what was coming and all kinds of changes and this, that, and the other. He's very, very uh, shy about these things. I'm reasonably sure he either recycled it or burned it. I'm not sure where that ended up. <laughs> By the way, did you say that pamphlet explained what was coming? What? Wow. Okay. I did. Just checking. Just checking. Mm. Okay. All right. First order of business, of course, when we're talking about kids and sex is we're going to reinforce the importance of healthy boundaries with other people. Um, and I think you and I are both people who have accepted and embraced the idea of positive consent. Yes. Um, and you know, and positive consent is one of those things people get, people get kind of worked up about it because they associate it with political correctness. They associate it with, you know, a strain of feminism that they don't identify with. But I I think in general, positive consent for me is the no regret strategy. It's the, it's, it's the thing that you teach so that your kids, you know, are not going to end up in tough situations that they regret after the fact. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I go back to software. Um, when you grant permission or revoke permission, you always go with the least permission, right? You only can see the things that you've been explicitly granted. I, I look at life a lot like that. You know, if there's not an explicit grant on something, it's not for you. It's not a thing. And maybe that's a little bit corny, but I, I think there's something to it. Yeah. I think the second principle for me uh, relates to privacy. And, you know, privacy is a huge struggle at this moment in time because we have the ability to restrict it so much for our kids. 
But in general, what I see among parents and kids these days is there's just this really fraught relationship with the idea of privacy. We have electronic devices that allow us to put our kids in a state where they they don't have some kinds of privacy that we took for granted when we were those ages. I think privacy is one of those things that kind of lurks under the surface. People don't necessarily sit down, talk about it, think about it, articulate what their strategy is for the family, make make ground rules. But as your kids age into those years of sexual discovery and figuring themselves out, privacy becomes just so important. And I, I will say this, I feel like for me, privacy is the other side of the coin with dignity. So if you want your kids to live with dignity, then you have to consider how you grant them privacy so that they can experience life on their own in various settings. They can learn how to be independent and they can also learn to respect the boundaries that they can set between themselves and the rest of the world. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're coming from on it. Oh, and that makes perfect sense. I think there are things like something as simple as a door, right? Are you allowed to close the door to your bedroom? This is a discussion I'd never expected to have as a human being, much less as a parent. But I've talked with folks before who have grounded their children from their door. So, you know, remove the door. That wouldn't be my first choice. You do have to have places in the world where you can be alone, where you can have that level of privacy. And it feeds right back into our friend Justin's question, which is there has to be a level of respect with boundaries. You have to know that these things are perfectly normal. That's another thing. All of this is normal. This is a thing that everybody thinks about at some point or other. And this is something that that everyone participates in at some point or other, whether or not you want to admit it. And having a door to your bedroom is pretty sweet, you know, just close it and be respectful and understand that this is this is a part of life. It's part of growing up. And I think along with that, uh, the other thing is that you've got to have kind of a common language in the family for how to be considerate of each other and how to respect living in a household together. So regardless of what's going on behind the bathroom door, when when your teenager takes a 45 minute shower in the 7 to 8 a.m. window when everybody needs to get dressed and get out the door, that's just unhelpful, right? So, so there's lots of reasons why you want to, you know, have a running conversation about ground rules in the household, you know, and this kind of comes along for the ride. When my kids got to be teenagers, I had to think about like, what are the things that really matter to me as a parent? Where am I going to draw lines and establish rules and boundaries? And my wife and I talked about it a lot and it got down to two things, safety and respect. I want to set rules where there's a safety issue, and I want to set boundaries where there's a respect issue. Parents really get wrapped around the axle, the crazy behavior, the the defiance, the sarcasm, everything else that they're getting from their teenagers. If you go back to safety and respect and say, you know, does this thing matter? Does it really matter in terms of not just like, you know, your kid following every instruction that you give them? That is a kind of respect, but it's not what I'm talking about. The, the respect that I'm talking about is, does your kid respect themselves? Do they respect the other people in the family? And do they show that often enough to make the life of the family healthy? You want to nurture that. You don't want to create like a police state where there's so many rules that the kid is just constantly violating parole again and again and again. Like you said, it's pretty normal to be preoccupied with your own body. It's pretty normal to be trying to figure it out. And regardless of what your family values or, or you know, faith practice might be, you need your kids to take up the lesson 
lessons for themselves. And that means giving them some space to do it and figure it out and make mistakes. Let them make mistakes while they're in your house before they go out and make mistakes elsewhere and you can't help them. Exactly. If you've got these things established, if you've had these conversations and if you've had the discussions, you don't have to have them every single day. You can kind of lay out some ground rules and you've always got something to fall back on. So maybe you can make a couple of conversations a little bit shorter. (laughs) The good news, sir, is that uh, that brings us to mailbox zero for today. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it? Don't worry. That feeling will pass. Hmm. Hey, uh, as we're wrapping up, Mr. Sperger, I think you have a new project you want to introduce to the dads and the youth of the nation. Is that true? I do indeed. Yes. Given the state of things out there, I felt like it was important for us to have a steady feed of good news coming our way, um, something that you can go to and it's just guaranteed good vibes every time. I also felt like it's important to talk about the, the concept of hope and how that actually works in the world, because I think it gets misunderstood a lot. I've created a weekly email newsletter uh, called Hope Notes. It goes out on Thursdays, just like this, because Thursday is the best day. The URL to get you there for subscribing is Hope Notes, one word, dot substack.com. Uh, we'll put the web address in the description for this episode. So if you're interested in signing up, it's hopenotes.substack.com. We want to know what's keeping hope alive for you these days. Give us a call and leave us a message at the deadline mailbox. The number is plus one four one two six eight four three two three seven. That's four one two six eight four dads. Operators are not standing by due to the shelter-in-place orders uh, across Pennsylvania, but our voicemail box will be happy to collect your message. And please remember to subscribe to Dadline wherever it is you get your podcasts. Remember, every time you subscribe, an inbox hits zero, 